So when I was asked this morning just to talk for a few minutes about my recent experience climbing Kilimanjaro, which is one of the seven summits, and I've heard it called uh, the tallest freestanding mountain in the world, whatever that means, something around mountain ranges and connecting to others and it doesn't, things of that nature as well. But I was thinking about what could I share in just a few minutes to kind of give you an idea of what the experience was like and some of my thoughts and experiences along the way. Um, I won't bore you like I did with my wife and, and say, hey, honey, I have 200 pictures on my phone. You want to see them? You know, and you've had someone do that for you after a long adventure. Hey, you want to see where I've been? And about 10 photos in, you're like, ah, thanks for sharing, but uh, what else you got, you know? So hopefully, hopefully it won't be that way. But I want to just take a few minutes and share with you just a few of the experiences along the way. It was, it was myself and a small group of guys, and each of us had um, our own stories, our own challenges, or maybe even some life-transforming experiences along the way. And I just want to share with you a little bit of my perspective. Um, uh, Pastor Evan was along on the trip, and he has his stories. And, and Pastor Bernie, who's gone on to do amazing things in World Vision recently, um, also has his stories as well. But just want to share with you a few, a few things along the way. When you go on a, on a big adventure, a big vacation, a long vacation, afterwards, maybe a month or two, and it's been a couple months for me now, maybe for you, is, is there an... Is there a moment or a few moments that stick in your mind that, that when you think about that vacation, you think about, man, remember that time? Remember that moment? Remember that when we did this, when we did that? And kind of whenever you think about that vacation, that moment comes to mind for you. For me, the moment that comes to my mind most clearly when I think back to the seven days that we spent on the mountain was this moment. Monday, January 16th, 4 a.m. That was the moment that my alarm clock went off, and as I groggily kind of reached to feel for where my alarm was in the tent, and I was feeling something cold and wet and damp all around me, sort of came to my senses at 4 a.m. And, and realized where I was. I realized that I was waking up in a tent on the rocky side of a mountain in an Arctic climate and in a higher elevation than I had ever slept in my life. In fact, I was thousands of feet higher than I'd ever driven or walked or, again, slept in my life. This is, this is a, a view on the side of the mountain, and you can see stunning views, but in order to get to that view, you've got to brave some frost on the inside and outside of your tent. I, I don't think you can find this spot on Airbnb, by the way. It would be a little hard to do. And today, the day I woke up in my tent at 4 a.m., it was day five. Day five of our climb, and day five happens to be what they call summit day. Day five is the day that you make the final push to see if you can reach the top of Africa, as was mentioned earlier. And it promised, I knew, to be a long day and probably the hardest day. You know, we'd had several long and hard days along the way. We were, again, four days. Every day was a climb. Every day was a journey. Every day was eight to ten hours of straight up through some really interesting terrain as we went through five different climate zones, starting with rainforest and working our way up and working our way up and working our way up. But the hardest part of the day was not necessarily doing the climb. The hardest part of the day, for any of you who have ever gone camping or tenting in high altitudes, you know what the hardest part of the whole day is? 
getting out of your sleeping bag. Because you notice that transition from being completely toasty warm and having to brave that first cold blast even inside of your tent as you get dressed and get ready to go. So as I was climbing out of my sleeping bag, I was thinking about how we got here. How did we get to day five, 4 a.m., getting ready to, to head up to the, and try to summit the mountain? Our little band of, of seven guys and now what I would call closer to brothers based on our last few days of, of experiences together. You can see us here on day four as we're preparing to reach that camp and get ready to summit. The night before, we had stumbled into camp after dark. You could probably call us a picture-perfect example of the walking wounded. Some of us had sprained ankles or twisted knees. A couple of us, I won't say who, we were mumbling incoherently, not quietly in our right mind. There were some worried looks on our guide's faces about, this is the group we're going to take tomorrow up to the top of the mountain? Is it really? Are we going to make it as we go? We had just finished our fourth full day of climbing. Getting, we were hit every day with some sort of precipitation, either rain or ice or, or snow. Uh, some of us had a hard time acclimating to the altitude. As for those of you who have been at high altitude, you know everyone deals with it differently. For me, it was no exception. A lot of times we had sleepless nights because we just couldn't adapt to the altitude, myself included. Two nights prior to this, I'd finally fallen asleep only to be awakened at 1 a.m. by a windstorm that threatened to blow our tent off the barren cliff we were on. You can kind of see we were perched a little precariously at times. And the windstorm hit us at 1 a.m. And for one, about an hour or so, the wind blew nonstop. And then it went away as quickly as it came. Needless to say, I stayed awake for the rest of the night wondering what else was going to come that night. But nothing at all it did was it blew over our outhouse. But that was about it for that evening. This doesn't take into account what I've just shared with you, all the other kind of fun adventures we had along the way. Um, there was adventures of us making our way up Barranco Wall, which includes this boulder with a narrow step that if you take one false step, it's about 200 feet down. So you just want to focus on the boulder and make your way around it and keep moving forward. Another one would be waterfalls. And this is one example of a waterfall, but we crossed several waterfalls that one false step would definitely want to ruin your day, if not your shoe, um, for the rest of the trip. Um, and then the best waterfall of all, which really was an icy, snowy, uh, straight downhill navigation. Every rock was an icy rock that we wanted to make sure that we had to take every step, make every step the right step. We were getting pelted with an ice storm all the way down as well to add to the fun, right? So this was some of the things. We didn't know all was going to happen, but we knew we were going to have some adventures. Uh, one thing that I, a photo I don't have for you that I, I do have on my phone, but is on day four, the day before the summit as well, I was halfway on the, on the, we were doing about 12 miles that day up. And the guide says, what's wrong with your shoe? I said, my shoe? My sh shoe's fine, right? He goes, no, look at your shoe. And I lift up my hiking boot and three quarters of the sole was hanging off. And I said, that's going to be a problem. I didn't bring a backup hiking boots. Let's just say we got to lunch. We sat down to lunch. I took the boots off, and I asked one of our, the, the guy who was helping to the, do some of the food preparation stuff, I said, hey, his nickname was Obama. Hey, Obama, do you happen to have anything to fix this? He goes, well, you could put a sock over it. Ah, that may not work. He said, let me try. 30 minutes later, he came back and said, we found some super glue. 
We put it on it, let me know how it goes. And the shoes stayed together for the rest of the trip, including Summit Day. So we had some fun things, but I'm thinking about going back to that morning, day five, sitting in my tent, and the night before we had our nightly briefing. So every night, the night before, our guide would give us a briefing of what to expect for the next day. And, and the night before, he was a little more somber than typical in terms of serious about what summit day was going to be. And here you have seven guys sitting around this little table, just kind of shivering and their teeth chattering. Some of us have already kind of fallen asleep um, because we're just so exhausted from the four days so far. And here comes our head guy, Dixon, into the tent. Dixon looks around and I can tell in his mind, he's thinking, you're about to mess up my perfect safety record, aren't you? Do I really want to take this group up the mountain tomorrow? And then in a very calm and serious voice, he began to tell us what the next day was going to look like, what we may experience in extreme altitude, what would happen if we became too sick and had to be medically evacuated, and several of us came very, almost dangerously close to that along the way. He reminded us of the pace we needed to take to stay successful, words we had heard many times over the past four days, starting when we climbed past the entrance gate and disappeared into that rainforest on day one as it was pouring rain on us. But the words our guys would echo over and over again, words that I think we sometimes need to take to heart with the Christian walk. And that is pole pole, which is slowly, slowly, one step at a time. Don't worry about too far ahead. Take life, take the journey one step at a time. Don't rush it, don't outpace yourself, don't outpace your guide. Take it one step at a time, pole pole. And then I, I still crack up when I think about what he said this. We're, here we are delirious. We're all like, just, I just want to get to my sleeping bag, went to my, bag, uh, my bed. We have like five or six hours for alarms go off. And he said, now listen. He goes, I know halfway through the climb tomorrow, some of you are going to be tempted to say something to us. And I'm going to ask you just not to say this. And he goes, what you're going to be asked to say to one of the guides is this. Are we there yet? And he goes, it really frustrates us as guides when we hear that. Would you just not say that? I'm like, okay, it's not just my son Ethan or our kids on a road trip. It's actually full-grown adults on a mountainside asking, are we there yet? And so as I'm pulling on the layers on morning five, thinking about what we're about to experience, I start to think about what is it that I'm trying to do today? I remember the questions that floated across my consciousness, questions that maybe you have thought before you take a a risk, an adventure, a next step in life, a new chapter, stepping out of your comfort zone. Maybe they don't all come to your head at once like they were that morning and I was getting ready to to do our 5 a.m. departure as we summoned up the mountain, but, but questions came to my mind like this. Will we make it today to the top of the mountain? Will we make it safely? How long will it take? I had no idea how long we were going to take to make it to the top. How long could it take? Will my body adjust to extreme altitude? And what does 19,341 feet feel like when just a few days later, and probably right here, I'm standing at about 75 feet above sea level in Florida. That's about it. And to go from there and a few days later to be at 19,341 feet, what would it feel like? I knew right then as I was in my tent, I was sitting at about 16,000 feet. I had slowly acclimated, but what would that last few thousand feet feel like? Answering the question, why was I there that morning could be done in a few different ways. The easy thing would be to blame Pastor Bernie, who's the one who signed me up, told me it'd be a fun adventure. 
once-in-a-lifetime experience, no worries, let's just do it. There were several times, especially during that day of Summit Day, where my thoughts couldn't be described as thankful or grateful for Bernie and his grand plan. However, if I were to tell the truth, the idea of climbing mountains, of getting outdoors and pushing myself to the limits has always been a big part of life dreams for me and life goals for me, even though I only occasionally put it into action. People that heard of Climb Kilimanjaro, they're like, oh, you must be a professional mountaineer. You must do... I'm like, it's really the first time I've been climbed above like three or 4,000 feet in all honesty. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I had no idea. I trusted that our guides knew what they were doing. Probably in hindsight, I probably could have lived a little higher elevation before I went that high, but, but no, it was, it was one of these things, a life goal that I was saying, I want to go after, I want to push myself to the limits like I've never done before. How much has God given me? How much do I have inside of me? You know, there was childhood Kevin experience, you know, on the backside of the, the farm growing up where we would stay in a tent, see how long we could stay out there. Probably 24 hours was the longest we could reach before we ran back home to a warm food and a warm bed. But I can think of three times in my life where I had pushed myself physically to the limit of what I could experience. Have you ever been in an experience where you feel like you've pushed yourself farther than you've ever pushed yourself before? where you feel like, I have never been this far before. I didn't realize I had this inside of me. I didn't realize God created me to go to this edge and to this extreme. It's amazing. The first one quickly was in 2011, where I was, was coerced by a few friends to do my first Tough Mudder. Any of you done or heard of the Tough Mudder before? It's about 12 miles, 20-some obstacles. I don't know why anyone would do it. I did it. It truly was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I've never done it again. I wouldn't dream of doing it again. But it was an amazing experience, and I remember about mile 10, about 20 obstacles in, I'm thinking, I am not going to finish this thing. Where's the closest four-wheeler to carry me out of here? But I made it, and I pushed all the way through. The second one was the following year in 2012, where I did about a 22-mile loop called Clingsman Dome Loop off Appalachian Trail, North Carolina. And I remember on day two, I'd been fording streams. I got my shoes wet. I was exhausted. We got to lunchtime, and the guy who had put the trip together said, oh, by the way, we have about 10 miles left, and it's straight uphill. And I'm thinking, I am not going to make that. And I still don't know how I made that, but just step after step after step. And the third one where I've pushed myself to the limit was this day's summit day. The truth is going and climbing mountains has been as much a spiritual quest for me as it has been a desire or thirst for adventure and for challenge. And I think the Christian walk and mountaintop experiences seem to go hand in hand in so many different ways. Um, Think about all the different times where in scripture we think about mountaintop experiences where we think about where people met God in amazing, transformative ways. You can go all the way back to the ark settling on top of Mount Ararat for Noah and his family, where God made a promise to Noah that water would never destroy the world again. What an amazing promise. When Abraham went up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice to God and he realized that God had an amazing uh, surprise in store for him at the top instead of a sad ending to to a... precious family member. Do you remember the two times that God called out to Moses from Mount Horeb? The first time was in the burning bush, and the second one we we know more commonly is Mount Sinai, but also the same mountain where he collected the Ten Commandments. If you'll read with me in Exodus 19.20, it says, then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. 
Imagine that. It wasn't, let me meet you halfway down. It's like, come up and have a mountaintop experience. Reach the summit with me. Experience what it's like to be at the top and to connect with God. And how did he finish that off? His life was finished as he climbed Mount Nebo to see the promised land. Between his fame of killing Goliath and being officially recognized in Hebron by the people as the king, David lived in the mountains and among the rocks. In 1 Samuel, it says that David remained in a mountain in the wilderness near Ziph. There's something else about David that I find fascinating with mountains. There are 15 psalms you may have heard of, uh, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, that scholars call the Song of Ascents. These are 15 road trip playlist songs, if you will, that the pilgrims would use as they would send to Jerusalem for the feasts for the celebrations, 15 psalms that were captured there that they would use as a road trip playlist to remind them of where they were going and why they were going as they were climbing. Just a side note, I can't say that the guys were singing psalms on our climb. We were, <laughs> we were singing 80s um, TV theme music on the way up the mountain. For some reason, that stuck. I didn't know a lot of them, but, but the guys did, and we, we hummed in 80s and 90s TV shows. For some reason, all the theme music came out along the trip. That and what we would eat when we got back down. No more. The closest Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A or, or others were, were being dreamed about. But, but this idea, this road trip playlist in the Psalms that they would climb. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level, and less than 20 miles away is the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level. So you can see that some of the pilgrims had close to a 4,000-foot climb. And as they would climb, they would sing these psalms. For example, take a look at Psalm 121, 1 and 2. You, you're familiar with this one. This is in the message version. It says, I look up to the mountains. Where does my strength, does my strength come from mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven, earth, and the mountains. That's what they would sing as they would head up the hill and head up the mountain as well. And just a few chapters or songs later, I love how Psalm 125, 2 frames it as just, the, the, just like the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. So they would just remind themselves that the Lord is like a mountain. The Lord is this amazing thing that we can climb, and like, just like Jerusalem is up ahead of us, 3,000, 4,000 feet up, we climb there to connect with God and to celebrate God and enjoy God. Elijah's most powerful moment as a prophet of God happened in Mount Carmel where he directly challenged the prophets of Baal, meet me on the mountain, he said, and we'll let the real God show up, Amen. right? Meet me on the mountain and we'll be there. Isaiah speaks about how he experienced God. In chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, read with me where he says, there's a day coming when the mountain of God's house will be the mountain, Solid, towering over all mountains. All nations will river toward it. People from all over set out for it. They'll say, come, let's climb God's mountain. Go to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll show us the way he works so we can live the way we're made. Isn't that awesome? He'll show us the way he works so we can live the way we're made. And we experience that when we meet God 
on the mountain. Uh, I won't show it to you here, but Micah 4, 1 and 2 actually repeats this exact same passage again as a reminder of who God is and who we can be in him. And then, of course, our ultimate example, just quickly, I found it interesting that Jesus departed to a mountain to pray again and again, Luke 6, 12, 9, 28, Matthew 14, 23. So many of those all record times that Jesus headed up a mountain to pray and at times remained there all night. Jesus' glory was revealed to Peter and James and John on a high mountain. Kayla was sharing with us just a few weeks ago how the Beatitudes that Jesus shared, he took the time to climb and deliver the sermon on the, on the mount, right? To climb up a mountain, to pull people away. And not, let's not forget, of course, that Jesus finished his earthly ministry on a hill called Mount Calvary. There is something about getting outdoors in nature, getting away from it all, getting disconnected from the city and the hubbub and the buzz and the noise, and maybe even from our cell phone signal. Climbing Kilimanjaro for me was the first time probably that I'd gone seven days in a row without cell phone signal. (laughs) It's painful. It's hard, but it's needed. It's crucial. And it was amazing that the beauty, the quietness, the lack of cell phone signal all combined to focus me, calm me, and turn my thoughts towards how amazing God is. I think it's those moments where you, it feels, you feel almost insignificant against the amazing landscape, but yet so special that God created this for us to enjoy. That God created nature for us to, to be able to enjoy and relish. We don't go into the wilderness or higher in altitude to worship creation, but to listen for and worship our Creator. So again, I climbed out of that sleeping bag. I was ready for what was ahead on day five. We left the camp at 5 a.m., and right away I knew I was in trouble. I couldn't breathe. My breathing could not catch catch up with the limited oxygen available, and one of the guides, KP, came alongside of me. As he saw me struggling, he became my Lamaze coach for the day, and he taught me how to breathe. He said, you forcefully breathe in, and you forcefully breathe out, and you do it with every step. Pole, pole. Bole, bole. And for some reason, the only thing that came to mind as I got into a cadence, into a rhythm of climbing these last 3,500 feet to reach the top was, ironically enough, the Aleve slogan for headaches, which was, all day strong, all day long. All day strong, all day long. And I must have said that 5,000 times. But it was the only thing that kept me focused on the breathing and on the steps and making sure that I was going to reach the destination that I wanted to. And then as I neared Stella Point, or 18,500 feet, you could see here, this was me at the very last ridge before I got to Stella Point, which is kind of the top, of, not the summit, but the top of the mountain before you get, get to the, walk along the ridge to the top. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to stop right here. It's been a great five days. I am good. I got nothing left. That's too steep for me. And I remember there's, there was a couple guys that had made it to the top, and I heard them crying, yelling out, Jeremy, you're almost there. It's amazing up here. Come on up. You're going to make it. And so I pushed to sell a point, and I was definitely ready to settle for that. In, few, in, in fact, when a, the few of us that were in that group had made it to the top of Stella Point, a few of us looked at each other and said, guys, you go on ahead to Uhuru Peak, which is the top. This is great. We're going to stay right here. We can't go any further. This spot is great. We'll see you when you get back. But after a sip of water, after a little bit of snack, we said, you know what? We're going to do it. 
We're going to go to Uhuru Peak, the last frontier. It's to walk along this ridge for another hour and to make it to the highest point, the top of Africa. Now, Uhuru Peak, Uhuru means freedom in Swahili. It's a chance to go and find freedom at the top of the mountain. And so off we went, deciding that it was worth the struggle to go those last few minutes. I won't I won't necessarily bore you other than to show you, the next photo here will show you what it looked like. And I was really struggling. I was, I have to admit, I'm glad it doesn't show my face because I was ugly crying at this point. My physical strength had left me. I was completely drained. I was, all I was running on at this point in time was thinking about, God, this is amazing. This is beautiful. I can't wait to tell Kayla and Ethan about how incredible this journey is. And it was just, I couldn't just stop praising and and thanking God for the opportunity while saying, Jeremy, get it together or you'll not make it to the top. We made it to Uhuru Peak. We made it to the top. You see Bernie there in the front grabbing the, the, the epic selfie, if you will. And as I stood there for a few minutes, just soaking it in at the top of the mountain, 19,341 feet in the air, I was reminded that finding freedom in life always seems to come after a struggle, even if it is sometimes just with ourselves, and that makes it so much sweeter, doesn't it? I won't bore you with all the details of how we made it back to base camp. Don't have time for that today. What I will share with you was that it was only by God's grace and the amazing compassion and skill of our guides that each of us made it back safely. It was, we definitely were completely drained, um, but we made it. And this shows you the group of us celebrating the following morning with the mountain in the background before we took our two-day trek down the mountain just in, to just enjoy the moment of being able to find that freedom and reach freedom point, freedom peak, Uhuru Peak. Incredible challenge, but incredible reward. As I, as I close, I just wanted to share with you quickly a story of someone named Tim Hansel. He was the original founder of Summit Expedition, a mountain climbing and wilderness ministry back in the 60s and 70s. His words, the wilderness encourages wholeness, reminds us of what is true and real, and affords us an opportunity like no other to encounter God as he is without distraction. Isn't that awesome? In the mid-70s, just before I was born, Tim was descending from a peak in the Sierra Nevada, lost traction in the ice and snow, and fell into a crevasse, cracking his vertebrae, crushing discs, fragments of bone lodged in his neck. neck. Here is this outdoor adventurer who is forced to go into really an inactive state. He had chronic and debilitating pain for the rest of his life. After he passed away, just about nine years ago, people reflected on what his leadership and influence meant to them because after that accident, Tim prayed this prayer. Teach me to live in new ways, O Lord. Teach me and show me your ways in the midst of this. The result of his determination to live life for God and in God and to experience God in the outdoors regardless of his physical limitations turned into 12 books he wrote, a speaking circuit that went around the world as he challenged others to choose joy and a new ministry to inspire those who were suffering from pain, sorrow, and disabilities. In Tim's words, pain is inevitable but misery optional. One of my favorite books from him is from 1989, just 10 years before he passed away, and it's titled Holy Sweat. We did a lot of sweating on the climb, that's for sure. There's one quote that has stuck with me, and you'll see it here on the screen as I think about 
this crazy adventure that I've recently finished. Tim said, I would hate to get to the end of my life and realize I had not lived, that I'd never dared to take a chance to love, to explore, and to realize my best. Maybe the greatest risk in life is not to risk. By taking a risk, some, it may seem that Tim paid dearly, but for countless others, it was an inspiration to find joy in life regardless of our physical and temporary circumstances here on earth. So as I wrap up, just a few summary thoughts that I'd like to leave you with as I think back on this amazing, challenging, and reflective experience. Three items. The context and perspective I got in nature while climbing a mountain of who God is and who I am in him, who I am in him is worth the chance to repeat again, even though Kilimanjaro has become another one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. It's off the list. Floridians may want to try slightly less higher elevation than that. Just a lesson learned there. To, and two, to find true freedom, Uhuru, requires a struggle and even risk, and even it is sometimes only a deep self-examination of who we are, because then we can see how well God has prepared us to do amazing things that we never thought possible. So let us say in the words of Isaiah, come, let's climb God's mountain. Let's all go to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll show us the way he works so we can live the way that he truly meant for us to live. My prayer is that you continue to pursue freedom and find that freedom to live life to the fullest, the abundant life God so desires to see each of us enjoy every day of our lives. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about mountaintop experiences, to talk about the opportunities to see you in a new light and to step out and step aside and get away from the distractions of this life and really see you as you truly are, someone who longs to whisper to us like you did to Elijah in a still small voice and tell us how much you love us and how much you want us to live life abundantly. Thank you for the struggles that we face sometimes because it's only through those struggles, even if it's things we do to ourselves, that in that we find freedom and find joy and find fulfillment and see you as you truly are. We pray for the opportunity this upcoming week to seek you, to pursue you, and to climb the mountain in search of you so that we may have an experience that tells us that you are always with us and that you will never leave us or forsake us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.